really strongly relate to the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. We think of prophets as the people who tell us the future, but they also speak of the past and the present because the purpose is to speak to us of God. God is all. All we have to do is mimic his behavior, be like him, and we're with him. All we have to do is simply surrender. All we have to do is open our arms, open our hearts, open our minds. And yet this is the most difficult thing in the world of all time. <laughs> but then once you do, once you get to that place, it's, there's something about it that's it's more amazing than I think words could ever, ever, ever really come to. So that's why I'm going to put some of it into song. So if you don't mind, um, I'm going to play some music and, and speak my testimony to you. Is that okay? Okay. Well, I hope it is because you already clapped. So. <laughs> Can I hear a little bit out of the monitor? Spirit is broken. 
the saints The faith of our Savior Jesus, give me grace Even when the name of God is denied I will entrust him with my future Thank you. I was brought up in music. My father is a professional reggae musician. He's played all around the world my whole entire life. He's just always been out on the road. My mother loves professional reggae musicians. And <laughs> May 19th, 1984, it was my mother's birthday. And she and my father had been together for uh, about six to eight months, something like that. And um, they previously had lost a child. And it was a tumultuous time of whether or not they would stay together for those six months. And on her birthday, there was something different that year. And my dad, Vince, he asked her, what would you like for your birthday? You know, they're, they're at this party. What would you, what do you want? Like he hadn't gotten her a birthday gift yet. I mean, they're at the birthday party. It's like, what do you want? And she goes, I want a baby. Nine months and 10 days later, I was born. You know, my dad gave me to my mom, I guess, as a gift. And he's constantly reinforced, and both my parents have reinforced that I'm to be a gift to the world. So if I'm not being a gift to you guys, please let me know, um, and I'll modify. <laughs> I'll give you a gift certificate, and you can come back later for it. Um, and coming up in my life, you know, we having, you know, very different upbringing than, uh, you know, all of my peers, most of the people I knew, uh, with the exception of the folks in the music community that I was in, we had to find some groundation some way, somehow. And what's really fascinating is when I was two years old, um, my family, which is me, my, I have an older sister and a younger sister. I do have an older brother, with, that's my dad's son, but um, he lived down in L.A., and we would see each other from time to time. Um, one of my earliest memories, in fact, like when I came online, was uh, my first Christmas. I was like 10 months old, and I just remember very distinctly not being able to play, uh, what's that game, uh, uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Because they were like, oh, you're too young. And I'm like, why am I too young? Like, I can do that, what they're doing, you know? And so my mind was very active and aware very early on. And I remember at two years old, two very significant events happened that year in my life. One, we went to Jamaica. And this sparked in me quite an explosion of world traveling, understanding, and a little bit more understanding about where my dad's music comes from and about where my mom's fascination with really fascination with reggae music and Jamaican culture and everything. And I was like, I don't get it. It's really hot. There's kids who are trying to take my t-shirt from me because they don't have a t-shirt. I don't understand what's going on here. And the beach is fun. That was it. And yet it put in me this, this idea that I could do that. I could go and travel the world. I could go and get on a plane. I could go and be amongst a different culture of people. And I just never forgot that. And also when I was two years old, uh, we got a knock on the door, you know, 
And uh, this lady, you know, very, just imagine like the most late 60s-ish looking, you know, middle-aged lady with like the polyester whole entire jumpsuit and the sensible shoes and a very nice hairdo is, hi, I'm from the Adventist church. Um, would you like to stop smoking? Um, <laughs> for the older folks in here, they get that joke. <laughs> it's not a joke, I mean, but, but they understand that. Um, and my mom was like, no, I'm not, I don't want to stop smoking, but could you tell me about Jesus? And so they started doing Bible studies. I remember sitting there. I, so I come from a place called Santa Cruz, California, and there's a, a theme park like right there. It was like right over there from where I lived, right next to the beach. I lived right by the beach. And uh, I just remember sitting there and smelling the wafting waffle cone scent and seeing this lady come in my house and talk to my mom from this book. And I was like, what is that? I don't know what that is. I don't understand this. I'm two. And yet that held a very deep impact because we then started going to the Adventist church. My older sister was five years old, so she was right there ready to go to the local Adventist school. And so I went to the preschool. And so we just, we started going in this track of Seventh-day Adventism and going into this church and into this, this community, really. I mean, it was a community of believers. And my mom, who was a faithful person, but didn't quite know how to live into her faith, was very intrigued by vegetarian message, by um, the, the prophecy message by just so much of the way that this lifestyle was. And it was like, it was very copacetic with reggae because they, they're vegetarian. They believe strongly in God and very strongly in prophecy, just totally different interpretations. And, but in either case, I'm growing up as this kid who doesn't know anything. And I'm like halfway, you know, going to church every Saturday, which is like weird to everybody I know, except for the kids in the church, in the church school. And I'm going to, um, you know, reggae shows, my very first concert I ever went to, I was like, I think it was when I was about two or three, and it was Ziggy Marley, you know, Bob Marley's son, and we went backstage, and we met the band, because my dad, knew, you know, they were, they were in the same circles and stuff, and so, you know, very early upbringing age is like concerts and church, and then like Steve Urkel, you know, <laughs> it was like, and like uh, Michael Jackson, that was my thing. Michael Jackson was my jam. When I was five years old, I got a tape of Michael Jackson and just started dancing and doing all these moves. And my mom would put on like puppet shows and have me dance like Michael Jackson and all was well in the world. It was the eighties. Um, but anyways, whole different time zone. And then through my upbringing, something peculiar started happening. Um, I started acting a little frenetically, a little, a little more wild than my peers from time to time. I started, uh, you know, my, my, um, my desire to do fun things was always more active than my desire to do anything like where I have to sit down and do anything like that. And I would get in trouble a lot. In high, like, I, got, I went to the principal's office when I was in kindergarten. I don't know how that happens, but you know, I, when I was in the principal's office. And, you know, at that same time, around that same time, I started facing a little bit more of this thing called abuse, trauma, and things that cause a person to experience life differently. And for someone who would come to find later on that they're neurodivergent, like myself, that would play a very big key role in how I would live my life and sort of the path I would take, particularly with music. Because you see, Trauma is a very interesting experience we go through. If you don't know what trauma is, trauma is after you go through some sort of an incident that brings you, um, you know, pain or sadness or despair, anything that brings you down, and your body keeps a memory of this. Your cells, your brain keeps a memory for survival. And when your brain can't turn that off, we call that trauma. 
we talk about it in this church. I mean, it's been spoken about right here. It's something that can make you doubt, as this last series has spoken us, to us of. It can make you doubt. It can make you constantly loop and, and do these things. And especially when you're somebody who's neurodivergent like myself, you will tend to start looping on things. And you'll tend to start getting your mind into places where it, it gets stuck and you don't know how to get out. You don't know how to back your way or, or push through. Or Yet when you have a community of believers, folks who really want to help, God knows how to speak through those folks. So even, I mean, I thank God. If I was in maybe the public school system, they would have written me off and I would have been in like secondary learning and all these things, but they really tried with me. I, I used to get a lot. Uh, he's very bright, but he doesn't apply himself. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I've heard about applying for jobs, but like, I don't know what it means to apply myself. And so then I was like, do I have to like get a job with myself? Like, I don't know how that works. And so growing up, you know, my perspective was very much... Um, you know, I had a very big passion for, like I said, music. I have very big passion for extreme sports and just doing anything active and fun. And thank God I live by the beach and by the mountains where I could go climb and I could go uh, play at the, you know, do all these kinetic activities, play, skateboard, uh, you know, ride my bike, all these fun things that I could do. And yet, sometimes I would go to church and they'd say, oh, no, 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 don't go and do those things because Jesus isn't there. And it was like, what? I don't, I don't get this message. I don't understand why some people would say God is all over nature and I need to experience it. And then these folks are telling me that maybe he's not there. I, I don't understand. So what I'm trying to paint a picture for you right now is as a kid, your formation, the way that your brain is formed is so critical. And the community that's around you, your parents and folks who are there for you, to be able to form that with you and not do it through an extension of that trauma, but to help break that down. For me, I had those great influences. My grandmother, I had an uncle who would always try to explain the world to me. We had great resources who would do this for me and that would help my brain to start figuring out what this world was because it's, it, it's like a little philosopher in there. It's always been like, who am I? Why am I here? And what's life all about? And why is there people? And why is my hand that shape? And why hand? You know, I would just go into those things, you know, and just, I didn't understand that I was just like this little existentialist. And, you know, what's really fascinating is one thing that later on I would come to find in the Bible is it really talks to us about how God has a plan for us. And each one of us, God, the Lord made each one of us for himself, even the wicked for the day of judgment. And what's really fascinating is underneath that, that simple Bible verse, that proverb is this understanding that God, each and every one of us, is an answer to a question about God. Every single one of our stories helps to bring light and clarification to others, to each other, to ourselves, to reality, into fruition, the image, the express image of God. And so that people can understand, outside of nature, outside of the written word, we have each other. And we have an understanding of God's true nature in each other. That's why it's critical that we are here in community and we are sharing time together. And this is amazing that we each and every week try to do this. It's, it's an anomaly. But what God is wanting us to do is to understand that we are being just like him. He made us to be together. So in a family like mine, that when your dad is on the road, you know, however many months out of the year, and coming back and he's got trauma. He's a black man who was brought up in the South in deep racism. 
in the south side of Chicago in deep racism in the late 50, in the 50s and 60s during one of the most tumultuous civil rights times of our life, comes over to California where my mom was brought up in a sleepy little surfer town and the daughter of a doctor and kind of a latchkey kid, which means she was just able to just come and go as she pleased because dad was busy and mom was busy with the house and she had four older brothers. That, that oldest one was 10 years older, so he's ready to go out and you know, go explore the neighborhood and she's three and it's like, bring old Sally along. And so, you know, you kind of, my, my, the way I was brought up was so like, who even, who's, who do I trust? How do I, who do I know who to follow along with? Cause sometimes they don't give me the right advice or sometimes they neglect me or sometimes they don't treat me the way I ought to be because my brain is going all these different directions. And how do I, how do I find God in all this? How do I find meaning? What do I do? And time goes on. And you go to school, you do your extracurriculars, and these are just things that go into your brain. And you might think about it, you might talk to your friends about it, you might not. But then there comes a time where you hit a thing called puberty. And I don't know if any of you uh, have been here through puberty yet, but um, it's kind of emotional. You know, there's kind of a lot that goes on during puberty. And, um, you know, that's where I, <laughs> I wish I knew that Bible verse, uh, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts I have for you and, and the plans I have for you, you know, uh, not to do evil, but like for good, a good future. Like, I wish I knew that verse and had like memorized it back then and was like, no, 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 this is going to be okay. I just need to get out of my feelings. It doesn't matter if I have buck teeth, you know, that doesn't matter. Like, I'll be okay. Everything's going to be fine. But again, the reeling and the not being able to find the answers and trying to seek God and not understanding Jesus and who Jesus, you know, what was it, a couple weeks ago, Chris, he, he said something along the lines of like, I wanted to become Jewish or should I become Jewish? Like, he was like, I don't know this. And I was the same way. I was like, I don't, I don't get how Jesus and God have to do with one another. Like, how is he his son? Because he's human. And, then, and like all the explanations I would hear wouldn't quite do it, wouldn't quite bring it to bear for me. So get into high school and, you know, I had been playing music for a couple of years by that point. My dad had gotten me a guitar, a guitar and a bass. And it was a time where I went to a public school for the first time in my life. And it went from like, you know, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves to like, welcome to the jungle. Like literally, like, you know, we're going to concerts. Like I've met Slash a couple times. Um, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, it was a totally different, totally different place. Like I remember the first day of school, a cheerleader was like cussing out a football player. And I was like, what is this place that I'm in? Ah, this is so crazy. And, um, and so shortly after getting to high school, I tried to do football for social stuff because I don't know anybody there. Um, I tried to do like, you know, go hang out with the, the party kids and that didn't yield. And then I found this group who liked music. And it turns out that one of them was, pretty well connected with um, a, uh, a uh, instrument company. His dad was the president of it. So pretty, that's pretty good. And so we formed a band and we just started playing at that school. We started playing shows. We started doing, you know, the whole sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. And that was like totally idealized for me in the early 2000s. I was like, we are going to change the way music is, and we are going to be the very number one-est band. And we're like, I had all these designs for how we were going to just get in there and just rip through the music industry and just had these grand designs about life and so many things I didn't know, but so many plans that I had that never came true, but so many thoughts and feelings 
no action, but a lot of things. And so every so often, we would, if we practiced hard enough and we played our music and we, we put ourselves out there well enough, the uh, instrument company would send us to a place like Japan or it would send us to Sweden, or it would send us to Germany, and we'd play festivals, or we'd play guitar shows, or we'd go to LA and we'd play um, this you know, convention show uh, for the evening. And it was a chance for me to get out and see the world. You remember, go back to two years old, Jamaica, it was hot, <laughs> and a lot of poverty, and it, didn't, it wasn't very fun, but the traveling part was great. So when I got to go to Japan for the first time, all expenses paid to play a show, and it was, blows your mind. You go, this is what I want, you know? And the devil's also going like, yes, this is what I want, you know? Because it pulls me away from the world. And by 18, or it pulls me away from God. And by 18 years old, I'm really sitting there and I'm really contemplating what I want to do with my life for six months. I'm 18, literally like the month after my birthday, March, 2003, 18 years old. I go six months and I'm like, these these repetitious thoughts are just in my head of what does God want for your life? Or I'm sorry, what does Jesus have to do for your life? And what does Jesus have to do with your life and do work for God? And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I wasn't studying my Bible. I wasn't, uh, in, I wasn't like steeped in prayer. I didn't have a religious friends. All my friends were like worldly. I had a few friends from back in my Christian days, but we didn't hang out. And I'm just like, like, why am I thinking these thoughts? And like, Jesus, like, what does that have anything to do with anything? Like, I've never, I always cared about God because God's God, you know, like it's God, you know, but Jesus, that's God's son, I don't get it. And at that point, for six months, I contemplated it. I thought about it. And in the very middle of those six months, like, like almost smack dab, I go over to the, my guitar player's house and he's holding two prototype basses for me. And he's like, one of these is yours, pick one. And I'm like, that one? And so it's like the devil just pulled me right away. And he's like, here you go, here's your future. And it's like, that's my sign. You know, we can follow false signs and think we're doing what's right. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its way is death. When a little trouble come my way, once again I forget to pray. Failure is my name, rose if by any other still the same. My spiritual alarm snoozing to the weekend. Time's running down to none, feeling like a tick-tock, tick-tock atom bomb. I need a little faith in the morning. I need a little hope in the night. I need a little love to continue keeping up my eyes as I look to the light. 
You know, I just became a dad recently, and one of the things that I've really learned is the way that we can encourage our children more than we discipline, more than we punish. We think of discipline as punishment, but discipline is encouragement just as much as it's punishment. Being able to give positive, reinforcing feedback is just as important as giving negative, reinforcing feedback. Because limiting behaviors and increasing and encouraging behaviors all in balance is super hard to do when your child is screaming from the toilet and you're way downstairs cooking them dinner. Okay, so let me just say that. Let me throw that out there so I understand it's hard. And yet at the same time, for so many years, and maybe some of you guys can relate to this, I held such a grudge against my parents because they tried to raise me, right? You know, they tried to teach me those simple lessons, faith, hope, love. Their behaviors were different though, you know? When, it's, when you're right there in person with folks, it's so easy to lose grace for the people that's, that are closest to you. It's so easy to forget that those folks are giving you grace and how much they have given you. And I definitely lost sight of this, especially when I was reaching, reaching for that brass ring at the end of a stage somewhere. But I had a lot of fun while doing it, I thought. I was having fun. So like six years, I'm 18 years old. Again, remember, I'm 18, I'm contemplating this. And I'm like, I'm going rock star lifestyle. And Rockstar Lifestyle is whatever. I mean, it's, you, you're going and you're playing a lot of shows. You're showing up at, at venues way early, loading in gear. You have to stay there way late to load out your gear. You have to haggle for your pay if you ever even get paid. Okay, let me tell you a story. And this is real. I'm 17 years old. We're, we're, I can't even drink. I can't even go into the bar yet because we're playing at a bar. It's a Thursday night or like a Tuesday night. The day after the Chappelle show would show in 2002, figure that out. But it's a, a school night. <laughs> it's a school night for me as a child. And since it's a school night, we're standing outside. We can't go inside. And there's a person who's telling us this story about the first concert they ever went to. They were 12 years old, took acid, heavy metal show, someone jumped off the balcony of a stadium, like craziness, while he's sitting there holding a pouch of crack rocks and just fiddling with it. And then at the end of his story, he's like, hey, you guys, you want to dig into some of this? And I'm like, no, I got homework. Like, I gotta, when I'm done with this show, I got to go to school tomorrow. Like, I can't be doing crap. Like, what was that? And where, why were my parents not, what? Because it was, it was part of our life. It was just normalized, you know? This was part of a, a normal thing for for me, it didn't feel like it was something out of the ordinary. It just felt like it was different to people who were regular because I wanted to be unique and I wanted to be special. And so up into my early 20s, I just, I played that rock music and that heavy metal. I got deeper into that, that party lifestyle because I thought if I can increase the party 
it'll increase the street cred and the reputation, and it'll increase our band's popularity, forgetting that you just you gotta play music that's good. You gotta write music for people. You have to do more to engage. It's a business as much as it is just a musical fun venture to do. I didn't know about that whole business side of it. As much as producers and you know, the president of companies and all these people, advisors, my own dad, who's been in the music industry for decades at that point and played with Grammy nominated bands and all this kind of stuff. Like he, none of that would, would take root for me because I was looking for something else. I was looking for me. I was looking for my own God, for me to be the God, for me to be your idol. I was falling into the trap that this world offers us, which is, if you eat from this tree, you'll be like God. Doesn't that sound good? It'll make you wise. It'll, you'll learn about the world, all these things. No, don't worry about that death. You won't surely die. I've been in so many sketchy situations, this country and abroad, <laughs> that I should have died, and somehow God kept me alive. What's fascinating is in all my travels, I would take my, my Bible with me that I got in that, on April 5th, 1991, because it was written there in my Bible. <laughs> my mom had written it from mom, April 5th, 1991. And here you go, your first NIV with red letters. And I would take that with me to like every single city I would go to. Every, every time I would get out of the country, it'd be in my bag, you know, every single time. But it was more like a it was more like a, uh, what do you call those things that they wear, the mariners, an albatross or whatever they call it, where it's like it's like a, an amulet, a, like a good luck charm. You know what I mean? And it, I, just, I just took it with me. And then there'd be times where I'd be going through something and uh, yeah, the band is doing it this way. And so then I'd go and I'd like open it up to Isaiah. You know, I'm in the Bible, you know, and I think he, God was speaking just to me for this, you know. So, and then they don't care. Like, they, no one cares. And then I'd be, like, all even more lost because it wouldn't provide any answers. And I'm, what's going on here? What is this spiritual life and what is my life, you know? And I get to a point where I'm just so confused. I don't even know it. I didn't even know I was so confused, but I was because I was trying to reach for two things at one time, for who I truly am, who God truly is, you know, and how he could be in me and the whole entire world. And I'm sorry, but you can't have both. You just, you just can't. You can dwell in this world. You can prosper in this world. You can all those things in this world with God by your side. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it happens and it has happened. I mean, Lot is a prime example of that. Lot and Job, those three-lettered names. Just remember those two folks if you want to see about how prosperity works in a worldly way and a godly way. And you can really get into that so deeply and so heavily. And I learned at that young age, while I'm coming to the end of a time in my life, the end of this sort of fantasy about what rock stardom is, and I'm getting into the real nitty gritty and the fact that you don't just get picked up with a record deal because some, somebody comes sees you and you're just this special. No, you have to have a lot of determination and you have to work really, really, really hard for it because there's a billion other people who are trying to do the same exact thing and they're also working really hard and harder than you. And hey, they can write the hook. They can do all these things. And I come to a point where within a year, my, I, I was on tour in 2007, uh, where we, were, we went and played a festival in Germany and then um, did some backpacking with friends and ran with the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain and all that kind of crazy wild stuff that you do when you're 23 and, or 22. And while I'm on that trip, all I wanted to do, like I got homesick and all I wanted to do was go home and play my bass and pet my puppy dog, Sheba. And while I was on that trip, my puppy dog, Sheba, died. 
And so I get home and I'm just devastated. It's the first person close to me who had died. My grandfather had um, passed away just after my birthday a few years prior, but we weren't super close. And uh, it crushed me. It did something to my brain. It made me understand what death is like, how something you love so, so much can go away and never come back. And and I never got to say goodbye, you know? And, and I remember my, the tone on the vo- in the voice of my parent or my mom when she told me. And it was just, did something. And then no more than a year later, my grandmother, shortly again after my birthday, passed away. And she was like the rock solid person in my life. She was the one person who I could turn to and my parents were, I couldn't trust them or, or wor- the world was falling apart. She'd bring me in, she'd make me some eggs and toast, you know, just simple things and just calm me down. and put me to work in a backyard or doing something to make a few extra dollars and she was that sage person had all the wisdom she had been through a divorce she had been through the feminist movement she had been through world war ii she had been through so many things just a rich life and she taught me all of these things she taught me how to speak to people she taught me candor she taught me logic she taught me so many of the world's wisdom that you would think god would want to show you but she didn't she wasn't a believer she kind of had an eastern belief type of a thing and And when she died, she was like, she didn't want Jesus in the room. She didn't want Buddha in the room. She just wanted family, you know, like, and it it was like one of these things that just teaches you how to be a human. And when she passed away, it was the hardest time because I now had no foundation. I had no groundation. And I just went wild for like six months. Entered Nashville in September 2000 and whatever. And I'm dying on a bed because I've drinking myself into alcohol poisoning. I am stressed myself into not understanding or knowing who I am, losing myself to the world, flat out. It can happen, and you're looking at it. And I just reach out to God. My arms are open. My soul is laid bare. I had nothing. I I was poor. I was broke. I was, nobody liked me because I had been a jerk for a really long time. I became the image of my God. I became the image of me. And then I just stopped because I asked God, if you take me now, I'm yours. And yes, I maybe drank a couple times after that and it was worse, worse than that time, horrible. And, but then things started turning around for my life. I stopped drinking altogether. I've been, I've not drinking for a really long time. I stopped going to parties. I started rock climbing. I started riding a bicycle. I was still playing music. We went on a tour to Canada, and it was on that tour that, this is like 2009, it's on this tour that I'm speaking to the lead singer of a band called Dope. So God works in mysterious ways, okay? Okay, let me just break this down for a second. If you don't know the story of Balaam, where Balaam's like supposed to be this prophet of God, supposed to be doing the will of God, but then he goes this whole other way of Balak, and they call it out later on and and towards the end of the Bible, and, and it's like, you can't go this way. You need to go God. If he's going to send you that way, go that way. It's going to make a lot more sense for your life. Otherwise, he's going to have, you're not going to give the right prophecies. You're not going to say the right messages. And at the very end of it, maybe even a donkey is going to show you the way. And while I'm not calling this person a donkey, there was somebody who was the lead singer of this one particular band. We're on the back of the tour bus in, in Spokane, Washington. And he's like breaking down. He's basically trying to convince me not to be in the music industry. And, he, and I'm like, why? Like, this is your livelihood. What are you doing? Like, are you competing with me? Are you trying to get me not to? Because I know we were showing him up every night. Like, we'd show up on stage and we'd be like, yeah, we just rocked him out. Like, you can see this. Yeah, like, what? You know, like, I had this whole ego about it. And 
yet he was trying to tell me what nonsense it was and like what am I really there for and it was like this last little cry to me of like hey go check yourself so another six months go you know it's March it's exactly the same time frame another five months or so goes by and I'm just thinking about that over and over again and I'm like I don't want this I don't need this I like music I love this but I don't need this and there's got to be a better way there's got to be a way that's righteous where I can do this, but not do this. And sure enough, I leave the band. I just walked away. I didn't know what my future was going to hold. I was going to maybe go to college. I didn't know whether or not I was going to work. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then God starts making a way. It's like I, I go to a year of college. I start dating this girl there who is really cute and nice and fun, but She's kind of a little bit on the party side. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like way too over that now, you know? <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm all like, yeah, no. And I, it was one of the worst mistakes of my life because the day that we broke up, because I eventually broke up with her and the day that we broke up, like I'm walking away from her and I'm just like, yeah, like I'm never gonna see her again. Like I gotta do me. I'm gonna go back into music and I'm gonna make this all happen because I have a friend who just was number four on American Idol. And like, you know, I'm gonna go back and join his band and go to LA and yeah, like I just, the world wanted to pull me right back in about a year after I'd gotten out and tried this college thing. And I'm like, nah, music music, man. It's a sign, another sign. And so I break up with her. And the day we break up, I'm walking away from her. And I'm like, something starts happening in my guts. And I'm like, ah, what are you? And I think it's called love or something. And I'm just like, ah, and then I, ah, ah, it like leaks out of my eye. And this is Eugene. And I'm from California. So I'm not used to all this rain stuff. So at least, and then a raindrop hits me on the head and I'm like, oh no. And then that makes me like, angry because it's raining and then the anger makes me cry more and then she's not with me anymore but I broke up with her I'm so stupid and then I'm crying and then it's raining and then I get on my bike and then it's raining harder and I'm like angry and the wind hits me from the front and the rain from the top and the sadness from the back and I'm just like what is happening God like why are you doing this to me and like no answer no answer spend that summer homeless trying to find a job, trying to find something with my life because the whole music thing did not work out because I wasn't, I left that world for a reason and I tried to try to go back. I tried to try to go back and it wasn't happening. And so sure enough, I'm, I'm kind of in this limbo state. I'm gonna try to keep going to college or I'm not, or I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life at this point. I'm just totally like, who am I? And that's when I find an evangelistic series from this guy named Doug Batchelor. Um, if you haven't seen him before, he has a very tough shoe horn or a horseshoe hairstyle. You'll recognize him the moment you see him. He talks about it all the time. Great evangelist, great pastor, great teacher. And he got me to question again for reals, these things in the Bible that I'd put off for like over a decade. I was just over it. I went into the rock star life and I was just, I just got done. And when I came back to it, it was so intriguing and it made so much more sense for my life. And I just was like, oh, this is just basic. Like, this is explaining things because I was doing it prayerfully. I was just like, God, just show me or not, whatever. And sure enough, he just starts showing me. And I'm like, let me go get baptized. And I go get baptized. And then I start going to the church more. And then they start saying, hey, go to the Doug Batchelor AFCO, Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. And I'm like, I'll try that. I got nothing else going on right now. I'm doing some massage. Like, I'm just living the Santa Cruz whatever lifestyle, you know? And I go and I do this, this four-month program of evangelism and learning how to preach and teach and study the Bible, learning how to reach out to people, learning how to communicate with people who are nothing like me. And 
I mean, I had done that in the world, but I hadn't done it for the purposes of trying to teach them about God. And I barely knew about God myself. Then they sent me the Dominican Republic. So I had to do it in Spanish. It was so interesting, but hard. Because when you're trying to be spiritual yourself, you wanna give your message and you wanna show how God is changing your life. But how do you quantify the human genome of change? All you can do is just say what it's done to bless you. That's it. And if we don't, even the rocks would cry that out. And if you've ever been to Yosemite, you can see them crying out the blessings of God and the majesty that he has to offer. And so with things like that, I started seeing the world differently. I started seeing the majesty of God in, in, in the world around me, instead of seeing how it's all darkness and how it's, this world is such a dark and depressing place. And then slowly but surely, I actually right after that became a Bible worker. So, um, you know, I was having a having to figure out how to tell people more about the, the idea of God. And I think God did this for me for a reason because I wouldn't do this if I didn't have some motivation for, to like give and serve others. And sure enough, like it took about two years I, or I worked about two years for the church and I just was doing Bible working. And I, my life was so different from just a few years before. A few years before I'm just party rock star. Now I'm just sitting in people's living rooms and drinking very interesting tea and like a different kind of tea than from before. And, you know, I'm just, it's just, I'm learning that the nature of God is in connection and in communication. The Bible doesn't begin with a big bang. It begins with a big God. And he can do that transformative work at any point in time in our lives if we just open ourselves to him. And from that point on, you know, we're talking like over a decade now, I've just been connecting with him and just trying to understand him, whether it's through the community like this, through my wife and my daughter, through the, the strange experiences you have where life all seems to line up and it just more or less directs you back to his goodness. Because there was this time where that girl who I broke up with, she, like, we connected again about a year, a little more than a year after and I just asked her if she wanted to do Bible studies because I knew she was like all worldly and stuff, you know what I mean? I was like, she needs Jesus, you know? But hey, I was trying, I, I didn't know, but I was like, yeah, you know, she, she didn't have Jesus. She had like one of those like, kind of like fake beliefs, you know, I was all judgy, but God can even use a donkey like me. <laughs> um, he can even use a donkey like me. And so we started doing Bible studies together and then feelings. And then we said we loved each other and more feelings, and then we got engaged on a mountaintop in Vietnam after going to a theme park, because obviously theme parks are part of my life. And now she bore my child, and she is my partner, and the love that I was seeking this whole time in the world. And I can see what generations mean to God through the look and of my daughter's face. Like Enoch, when he walked with God for 60 years, had Methuselah, walked with him for 300 and was translated because it doesn't matter what has happened to myself in my life. You know, I've proliferated in a career. I've gotten a degree. I've gotten to an understanding about my disability and my trauma, and I'm overcoming every day and not overcoming some days, but it's still okay because I'm with my God. And all we do is just get better and better. And the way that we see how much better God gets is by ourselves surrendering and just saying, I've tried me but you're the true God, the one of heaven, the one that the, 
24 elders, the living creatures, the 10,000s on 10,000s will always say glory, glory, glory to God in the highest. And we just, it, it becomes just so much better day by day and moment by moment. Forgive me, this isn't my guitar. <laughs> so I gotta get used to it every time. To entertain the emptiness, a meditation that's supposed to fix this mess. I tried loving myself, nobody cared, and everybody's shallow. Memories from a dark inner palace, I can't even think about. I just hope you'll understand Given everything I will be coming home soon I just want to be on top of the world Makes me coming in last Given everything in my past I know I can be better for me Better for you too Better for me, better for you too. Better for me, better for you. I know the water's gonna freeze away the pain in me. I want to go under, buried deep beneath the sinful grave. Up from the bottom, back to the world, I'm not the same. Keep those petty little hands in a line. Oh, did you ever leave? I say never, Jonah. Did you ever want to run away? Jonah, could you see it any other way? Given everything, I will be coming home soon. I just want to be on top of the world. Feels like coming in last. Given everything in my past, I know I can be better for me, better for you too. Better for me, better for you. Better for me, better for you. Every day, I live for God. I try to make it that his life is an expression through me or his, not his story, because God doesn't have a story. Every good story has a beginning, middle, and an end. But God has no beginning or end. He just has a middle. He's just God. But our stories do have those beginning, middles, and end. And yet there's something, like it says, he's put eternity in our hearts. We don't know the beginning from the end, but he's put that eternity in our hearts. 
you know, you can go, you can literally go online and search my life. You know, we're getting in that age where you can see my past. You can see I'm like just at the point where you don't see all the embarrassing stuff. But and I chose not to show visuals for this group of folks right here who might get encouraged to jump off of second stories of hotels into boxes. Don't do it because it might hurt really bad one time. Um, but you can see all of that. You can see how the changes happen. And I think about it all the time. I literally work in change management. I spend my life looking at what uh, Chris spoke about two years, two weeks ago, the Kubler-Ross curve of grief. That's the same curve that's used for measuring change in your life. So if you wonder why it's so hard to change, it's because you're feeling like you're dying. Because you're, you're literally having to dissolve what you feel is rational, real, right, everything to be able to accept something new. And it's not easy. And that's why we need God. I don't know if my story can be encouraging to you today, but I'd love to share a journey and a relationship with you. I'd love to understand more about who you are. And I'd love to share more of myself and I'd love to share more of God with each and every one of you, whether here, local, or in Arizona, for some reason, California, they always say, or just at home here in the Portland metro area. I'd love to share that with you forever. If you open up your heart and your arms to God, we can make that happen. Thank you so much for listening. Please join me in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Father, Lord, we can only come to you. You do everything else. You're the one who wraps us in your love, who shows us who you are, who gets us out of ourselves and the idolatry that we would love to indulge in order to understand who and what life really is so that we can live it with virtue and, and into eternity. I just pray God here that today a simple story could encourage a life or lives to come closer to you. I pray God that you would shed your grace on the folks here and myself, that we would be able to share this light with the world as it's getting dimmer and dimmer. Thank you, dearest God, for the promises you give and the Christ who lives in us. In your name we pray, amen.